interesting what um, Irv and Sarah had to share after Irv shared his thing today because um, actually I'm a, I'm a big planner, if you don't know me, you know. And I actually had these three sermons planned out. They were great. and I, Well, I thought they were great anyways. And, um, and I, was, I kept trying to go through them this past week. And I'm like, which one should I do? Which one should I do? And none of them actually fit. And I think I know why now that I've heard what you guys have to talk about. So um, just keep what Irv said all in. Keep that in your mind when you're listening to this. So, all right. So, um, last year I had a message um, called, Would You Still Love God Without Salvation's Gift? Um, if you need to hear it, I believe it's on Facebook Live. I don't think we actually recorded it. It was when we were in the lion's den. But in that message, I taught what the gifts of salvation were and like what we gained from salvation. In that message, I taught about the gifts that come with salvation, um, and when we think of salvation, we typically think of the gifts, not, you know, the actual purpose of salvation. We think that we're, you know, granted access to heaven, you know, it's pretty cool, uh, that we're forgiven of our sins, of course, these are, you know, gifts that are coming with salvation. Um, we're given power and dominion over the earth, um, that we're saved from hell, like I just said, we go to heaven. Um, we have the power of the Holy Spirit, and all these other things that come with salvation. We typically think of that when we think of salvation, but like I said, those are just the products of salvation. The point of salvation was not all these things that we get, right? The point of salvation was to restore relationship with God. That was the whole point, because if you go through the entire Bible, that's essentially what he's trying to do the whole time. So if we, you know, we start with the beginning, we start with the fact that God created us. He created us to love and worship him. Um, he even says in Genesis 1.27, he created us to um, be in his own image, essentially, which we can actually see in ourselves that um, the fact that we're created in his image, we can see that how God feels about love and relationship. So if God said in 1.27 in Genesis, it says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And when it says image here, it's not just talking about we look like God, because obviously we all look different. You know, I don't think God looks like all these different people, right? I think it was more the essence of God, right? His feelings, his spirit, what he felt, you know. We see that in the fact that God gets angry. We see it that he gets sad. We see it that he's joyful, all that stuff. And we see it in ourselves the same way. Um, we want to be, you know, loved and cherished by somebody. Everybody has that need in them. They have a need for relationship, and it's the same way with God, right? That's why he created us, obviously. Um, sadly, though, um, unfortunately, too, um, the only way to have a relationship is to give the choice to not have a relationship. You have to give people the ability not to love you, um, not to cherish you, not to, to obey you, disobey, you know, and the ability to turn away. Um, because if he didn't give us those abilities and we don't give, like, our spouses those abilities or our kids those abilities, then it's considered control. And what we actually feel is not love for God or love for, you know, our spouse, our kids, you know, that kind of thing. It's just basically us trying to appease their wrath at that point, right? So if God tried to control us and con uh, made us love him, it would essentially be the only reason why we love him because we don't want to get smited, you know? So, um, yeah. So that's kind of where the fall came into being. So if we go a little bit further in Genesis, not very much farther, you know, it's kind of sad how close it is to the creation story. Um, God gives, you know, everything to Adam and Eve um, in the world minus two things, right? He gave them, you know, the plants, the animals, all the food they could ever want, the, all the gold, the silver, the platinum, everything. Everything is God. Um, everything that God created was given to Adam and Eve, right? 
Um, they have all this overflowing abundance. Um, they walked with God in his presence. It says that the spirit came down and walked with them. You know, we don't, um, well, we do because we have Jesus. But if you look in the Old Testament, you don't see them, you know, talking about, hey, what's up, God, after the fall, right? <laughs> um, so they had all that, um, but they still had the temptation to resist and um, disregard their relationship with God and then to throw it away, right? So, and that's essentially what they did. Um, you could say that Adam and Eve, you know, we think of cheating as one of the, you know, the worst sins out there, right? Because it, you know, betrays so much of a relationship, right? And that's essentially what Adam and Eve did to God. They essentially, you know, cheated on him, causing the relationship that God had with Adam and Eve and the relationship that God had with all of their offspring to be tainted, to be, you know, a, a relationship of betrayal at that point, right? So, um... You know, it's just, could you imagine, though, that um, being given everything and being able to walk with God and betraying them after that? Because that's essentially what Adam and Eve did, right? So, like I said, after the fall, they had a vastly different relationship with God. But you can tell that God loved us so much and still wanted to have that relationship with us that he continues all throughout the Bible and many different examples trying to restore that relationship with us. Um, even in Genesis chapter um, you know, six, um, verses five through eight. Um, this is where Noah comes into play, by the way. Um, so the earth is even worse at this point now. Like Adam and Eve did their original sin, and then they just kind of spiraled downward, right? It says in there, verses five through eight, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thought of his heart, which that's a key word, every intention in the thought of his heart was evil continually. It wasn't that, you know, there were, you know, a couple good thoughts they were having continually they were having evil thoughts so as you can imagine it's pretty messed up and the lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and grieved him and it grieved him to his heart so the lord said i will blot out man whom i created from the face of the land man animals and every creepy thing and bird of heavens for i am sorry that i made them but another key part of this right here is verse eight but noah found favor in the eyes of the lord so even though god was super pained that his creation had disregarded his relationship that he tried so hard to build with them he still um had that that inkling of love for us that he wanted us to continue and noah found that favor with him right so even though there was just one man on the earth that had you know the the want to relationship he still allowed humanity to continue if you read some of like the historical evidence that they have of kind of like what happened before the flood what they theorize you'll see that um, what they did was pretty darn terrible. Um, we think of Hitler, right? We think of him like as a terrible guy, right? He's obviously terrible. He killed six million Jews and you know, six million other people in the concentration camps. It's pretty terrible. He was just one guy. You gotta think about when God created the flood and wiped out you know, most of humanity there, except no one in his family. They were like, everybody was a Hitler at that point. <laughs> they were all doing terrible things. And um, you know, that grieved his heart, and he just wanted, you know, his people to prosper and to be joyous and to love one another and to love him, right? So, essentially, wiped it out, tried to start over, right? <laughs> um, we even see this, you know, a couple thousand years later with Christ, right? Um, we think, you know, mankind is awesome and enlightened, and we consider um, early, you know, the 00 AD, technically, you know, the beginning 2,000 years ago, um, we can, with Christ, not the beginning of the earth. We <laughs> consider that an enlightened time period with the Greeks and the Romans. But if you look at how they punished people, especially Christ, 
which they, this was not something that was, you know, reserved for Christ. They were doing this to common thieves. They were whipping them with, um, you know, bone shards and glass. Ever watched Passion of the Christ? It's rated R. <laughs> they were, you know, whipping them, and then they hung them on a tree, drove nails through their hands, and, you know, hung them there till they suffocated and died. That's how the death of a cross wa- worked. And <laughs> you see that that's how, you know, people are. But God still wanted to have a relationship with people, right? Um, so let's go back in time, back to the Israels again. So, you know, Noah started over, repopulated the earth. People did the same exact thing. They went back to sin, rebellion, and wanting to not have a relationship with God, right? Um, but God, you know, tried. He's like, you know, let's try it a different way this time, you know? You know, obviously he knows what's going to happen, so, you know, he kind of has to let it unfold, obviously, because of how man works and how rebellious and prideful and arrogant we are. So he took people and he said, you Israelites, you are my people. You're the sons of Abraham. We're going to take you. You're going to be my people. We're going to have a very special relationship with you guys compared to, you know, all the other humans on the earth, right? So he establishes this relationship with them, and then he takes it a step further and says, here, I'm going to give you some rules. I created a relationship. I know how a relationship works. This is God, not me. He says, I know how a relationship works. So here's Ten Commandments, right? Um, so he takes those Ten Commandments, and he gives them to his people. And if we look at those Ten Commandments, every single one of them is either about relationship with God or relationships with others. Like, obviously, the first one, you should have no God before me. That's relationship with God. He's the only God. It's only logical to have relationship with only God, you know, not other gods, obviously, because there is no other gods. Um, If we look at the rest of those um, commandments, they talk about, um, you know, don't commit adultery. So, you know, um, want steal your neighbor's things, don't want your neighbor's things, don't murder people. Those are all relational aspects, and God loves relationships, so he put those on, on the Israelites' hearts, right? Um, Jesus, in the, um, you know, the New Testament, is even asked by, you know, the state of Israel, their highest people, um, like the Pharisees and Sadducees. Sadducees. <laughs> he asked them, thank you, um, basically, how would you, what are the commandments of God? And Jesus said, well, I can sum them up in two things. Love God, love others with all your heart, right? Both of them. So, um, Jesus, or sorry, God knows about relationship and he tries to teach us about it, right? So, he continued on and obviously that failed, right? Because as you can see, we had Jesus. <laughs> so, that failed. Um, and God um, basically said, um, unfortunately, just following rules isn't going to work for humans, apparently. We don't know how to follow rules for some reason, even though there are ten simple rules. You think you know, not killing other people would be a simple rule to follow. <laughs> Guess not, because we kind of screwed that one up. Um, so um, the only way to fix such that deep betrayal that we originally started with, with uh, the fall, was to have sacrifice, you know. And I'm not going to go into how sacrifice works, because uh, obviously we have tons of sermons that have probably been preached on that. I know Matt and Sarah preached about it before. So I'm not going to go into the mechanics of that. But that was the only thing, was Jesus' sacrifice was the only thing that could basically, in a sense, pull the wool over God's eyes, um, not, you know, literally, but in a figurative sense, to our sin, to be forgiven, to be redeemed, to basically forget that that betrayal happened in the original time period, right? So, basically, um, Jesus lives his life, and then he dies the most gruesome death he could possibly live, or die, and then he not only does that, he goes on to be separated from God. So we think that, you know, Christians are, you know, good because we're with God, right? 
and then we look at non-Christians, and we think that they're separated from God. But those people are not separated from God like Jesus was separated from God. The way that Jesus was separated from God is complete and total, like it's complete darkness, essentially. And Jesus had to go through that to forgive us of our sins and to allow us to be restored back into the relationship of God. So um, we had all this stuff that um, God was doing. He was, you know, he's tried to restore our relationship after the fall. He even, you know, was kind to Adam and even taught him how to farm and stuff like that, right? Um, he tried to restore it with the Israelites. He tried to restore it with, um, uh, or sorry, Abraham's sons. Then he tried to restore it with the Israelite kingdom with um, how he went into, um, said, hey, you know, I'll give you a choice. You can have a king or you can have me. And the people still were stupid and for some reason chose a king instead of God. I would have chose God, but whatever. Um, so he tried to do that. And then um, if you read, you know, Kings and Chronicles, you'll see that there were God, or there were kings that followed God, and then there were kings that were just wicked that were, you know, sacrificing children, like kind of like we do now, uh, <laughs> and just destroying relationships and killing people and murdering and um, all kinds of things, right? So God, you know, has been going in this like cycle with us almost like, he's like, come on, just do it. Let's have a good relationship. And he, he did this so many times with us until we, he finally gave up and was like, you know, let's, let's just, you know, just get rid of it all together and give you the ability to have a, you know, a relationship with us through Jesus Christ. So, um, so as you can see, salvation is about relationship, um, and it's the whole point was so we could have relationship with God. So now we get the choice. Do we choose to have that relationship with God? We can, you know, obviously, you know, be saved and not have a relationship with God, um, per se. Like, we can't, like, dedicate our time to Him and whatnot. There's still, you know, a lot of people believe that once you say, you know, your prayer salvation, that you could technically go on and do whatever you want, right? But I don't know, I'm a little on the fence about that. <laughs> but um, there's grace and whatnot. But um, so we get to choose. Do we have that relationship with God or do we not now that we're saved, right? And um, that's one of the reasons I'm pained when I think about the world today, especially the church in America and all these other you know, first world countries. Um, like, I look at China, for example. They're a great church. I think Ray shared about it a couple weeks ago about how they're facing so much persecution and they're still, you know, choosing to have a relationship with God. Where in America, we're like, oh, COVID, <laughs> I'm not going to have a relationship with God anymore. And we kind of just give up, you know. <laughs> so, not sure what's up with that. But, so, um, caused me a lot of pain when I look at the world. And I know Matt, uh, he spoke last week and he was able to take the movie Hacksaw Ridge, and it, you know, was able to teach a lesson on that, and it kind of reminded me of another thing, and that's uh, one of my favorite books and TV shows, Little House on the Prairie. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's a great book, yeah. Um, if you don't know how Little House on the Prairie works, it's actually kind of a true story, most of what she says. Um, it centers around a little girl named Laura Ingalls. Uh, it takes place in the 1800s, and it's about essentially this little girl and how her family related with each other, how it related with their neighbors, how it related with people six miles away, you know, how they, their town just works. And, um, you know, I'm not specifically looking at Little House on the Prairie for a specific, you know, you know, message or life lesson or nothing like that. I'm taking a look at the 1800s as a whole. So if we look at the 1800s as a whole, those people back then, you know, 200 years ago, they had to work so hard just to live but they still made time for relationship with God and they made time for relationship with others 
and their neighbors, and they're, like I said, the people six miles away that, that it took them days to walk to, well, six miles probably not, but it took them days to walk to, right? So if they were able to do that back then, why don't we do it now? You know, why do we say we never have time even for 15 minutes of God, right? It's, it's, it's kind of interesting because they were working, you know, 12 to 14 hour days in the factories um, for the people who worked in factories and the people who worked on the farms like Laura's family, you know, in the prairie, they were working, you know, 14, 16 hour days um, to keep their family alive, just to live. And we don't see that today. So, Chris, I think my first graphic, I like graphics, so I'm going to pull up one. Here is a graphic of how many hours people worked in the, during the day. Um, this is uh, by, by year, just FYI. And it starts with 1870 and it goes to 2017. It's the latest I could find. So if you see up here, that's 3,000 hours in, you know, 1870. Where if you look um, over here, we're looking at, you know, 1,500 hours. So we're working almost less than they were back in the 1870s. And they have better relationships with their families, with God, and just within general. There was less crime. There was more um, wholesome love, all that kind of stuff, right? So... If they can do it, why can't we do it? You know what I mean? Um, I'm going to hit up my next slide. This is more or less what our, our um, a lot of people's lives are. I'm not saying everybody because everybody has a different job, right? So we have sleep over here. It's usually eight hours. If you're not getting eight hours of sleep, you're probably going to have a shorter life than <laughs> most people because sleep is important. God even created us to have rest. <laughs> um, you have work over here, um, typically eight hours a day again, most people. Some people work 12, you know, some people work during the week, whatever. Um, people in, um, you know, the 1800s, their work, this little orange one, probably looked more like this. And they had this little sliver of life up here, right? And then you have life. This is more or less eight hours that you have for other things, not work-related things, like dinner with your family, spending time with God, that kind of stuff, right? So you can go back to the normal slide if you want. My computer went to sleep. Um, so if they can do it back then with all that time that they're working, then why can't we in our time? Because you want to know why? It's not that we can't. It's a choice. We make the choice not to spend that time with God. Um, and it reminds me of um, just, you know, actually, before I get to that, um, I go to where does our time and energy go? I think it's because we made the choice not to because we've fallen in love with another God. I would say they're called idols in this particular case. They even make shows called American Idol. TV, you know, TV. We've fallen in love with TV. We've fallen in love with Facebook. We've fallen in love with our phones. We've fallen in love with games. We've fallen in love with, I don't know, what's everybody do? <laughs> you know, we've fallen in love with those things. Sports, sports. Yeah, those take up a lot of time. You know, we've fallen in love with all these things, and we got to ask ourselves, is it important, right? Um, and we've even fallen in love with money a lot. Um, that's actually one that, of an example that kind of reminds me of a situation that I keep seeing myself put in. Um, it's very easy now to reject it, but I get a lot of job offers. I'm in a software engineering, um, you know, software development, that kind of stuff. Um, we're in high demand right now, obviously, because of all the technology of, that is consuming people's lives, you know. But um, so I get all these job offers from these people in Grand Rapids, right? And if I look at Grand Rapids, it's an hour and a half away, right? Or an hour and 15 minutes. And if I were to drive there and back, that would be two and a half hours of my life that I would waste. And they offer me like sixty to $80,000 more a year, right? Anybody would take that, right? Most cases. Not a Christian, I would hope, <laughs> because of all that time you lose. But um, 
So what it does is it shows me that um, I got to look at my time, you know, that little eight-hour block that I had left. Do I look at that and say, do I want to waste two and a half hours of that just so I can make 60000 more a year, just so I can be rich, I guess? You know, because I take a look at a lot of rich people's lives, and they don't have better relationships. They don't have more joy in their life. They don't have anything like that. If you look at their lives, they're usually worse. They just are like, oh, I got money. It's cool. Um, so I actually created a little chart, which, you know, you can do this for any situation, which you'll see I have just a couple charts to show. <laughs> um, so I created a chart for, like, what this would impact to my life and how it would decrease my relationship with God, relationship with my wife, relationship with my son, my family, everybody. If I look at this, um, we have the two-and-a-half-hour commute, which you don't have to, you know, be good at math because I made it all out here for you. Um, <laughs> you have your total per week. So we're looking at 12 and a half um, hours a week that I would waste on a commute. Um, if I look at a year, let's say I work 48 weeks because of, you know, vacation time and all that, looking at 600 hours a year that I'm wasting, right? I'm 28, so I probably have about 35 years to retirement or so. If I look at that, I've wasted 20, 200, or no, it is 21,000, 21,000 hours driving in my car of time that I could have spent with uh, my family, right, or with God, or with anybody, or doing anything, right, and you can, you can say, well, you could have spent that time with God on your commute, right, um, driving 70, and, you know, trying to have good quality time with God probably wouldn't work for me, because I'm a very anxious person <laughs> when it comes to driving, so if I convert those into eight-hour life days, because if you try to, you know, skirt sleeping, you're going to die sooner, probably, so you have less life, if you skirt work, you're not going to eat, obviously, people who don't eat don't have life, so, <laughs> Um, we get 2,625 days, essentially, which is equivalent to seven years that I would lose in my life just so I could make $2.1 million more a, a year, or in my lifetime. That is never going to be worth any type of relationship with my family, with God, or nothing, right? If I look at um, you know, people who are old and dying, right, they're always like, I wish I had one more year with my kids, one more year with my spouse. If you would have, you know, made a sacrifice, you would have had seven more years with your, your spouse and your kids and all that, right? Instead, a lot of people take the money, right? And then if we go to the next one, um, did the same exact thing. You can't really see it, but if we look up here, Facebook, TV games, et cetera, I just put two hours to that. I looked it up. Actually, the average in America is 3.8 hours a day that you spend watching TV alone, which I, you know, it's not probably the case for everybody in here. I don't know how anybody could spend that much time. But <laughs> you have that much time watching TV, and then I brought it down to two just to be realistic, in my opinion, because I thought that was too much. And I threw Facebook and gaming and sports and all that stuff in there. And if we look at that, and we look at how many hours per week, that's 14, how many weeks per year, 52, um, you get 728 hours that you wasted per year on those frivolous things that aren't, you know, increasing relationships, right? And if we look at the average lifespan in America, it's 78. Um, and we only look at, you know, your life after 18, because I didn't feel like getting into the details with children and whatnot. You're looking at, you know, 60 years, and that's 43,680 hours, and if we divide that by the eight hours that we have free because of work and life, we're looking at almost 15 years that we've wasted in our life on Facebook, TV, games, all that kind of stuff, right? That's insane. When we say we don't have time for God, we had 15 years for God, you know? And that's why, you know, and I'm not, you know, doing this to convict anybody. This is a sermon that God put on my heart because I was looking at my schedule and 
I'm, I'm one of those people that plan out their day with a 15-minute schedule for every block, which you'll see in a second. <laughs> I was looking at my schedule, and I'm like, God was convicting me, and he's like, you started this new schedule because um, I started working out at the gym, so I, I'm now wake, waking up at quarter to six instead of 9 a.m. I know it's ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> so um, so I, I was having trouble getting time for God, and I'm like, and God looked at me, and he's like, you have time for God. And if we look at my schedule, this is something that anybody could do. I just did it here. You know, I look at 15-minute blocks. I have all my sleeping blocks here. I'm getting ready for the shower, um, taking a shower, getting ready, going to the gym, driving to the gym, spending an hour at the gym. Next one. I'm working. Um, I think I have a blessed life because I can spend my lunch at home, so it's nice. Um, The next one, and I'm working and working. This right here is all my time for God. Obviously, this is not complete. I don't have, like, my chores and stuff like that in there. But if we look every single day, let's just take an hour out. Let's say we have an hour for chores, right? You know, something like that, the things that we need to get done. I have, you know, one, two, three and hours and 15 minutes every single day, not counting the weekends, that I could have spent with God this week. Did I? Did I spend three and a half hours with God? Did I spend three and a half hours with my family? Did I spend three and a half hours with my son? No. I wasted it on Facebook. I wasted it. <laughs> and I felt convicted of it, so I thought I'd share it with um, But this is what I'm talking about. When it comes to relationship, we got to look at our relationships and wonder, are they worth the time that we're wasting? Uh, is God worth me taking 30 minutes out of this, this schedule here and spending it with God instead of Facebook? I think he is. I, so, yeah. That's kind of the gist there of my schedule and whatnot. And if you feel conviction over it, it's not my fault. That's the Holy Spirit. Because that was not my intention here. So my computer went to sleep, so one sec. All right. So, like I said, as a logical person, I broke my time down into that schedule there. Um, let me get back to here. So, I don't know. It just, um, I don't know. It's just, it, it kind of irks me, I guess. When I say to myself, I'm too busy for something. Um, when I, um, you know, look at, like, for example, um, we had a youth event at uh, Mercy's house on Friday? Friday? No, yeah, no, sorry, no, I'm looking right at you. I've known her longer, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> um, so we had a youth event at their house, right? And I was thinking about that. I'm like, I got a sermon this weekend. I don't know if I can go. I'm not too busy. That's, that's a total lie. As you guys can see, I'm not that busy <laughs> in per se. <laughs> I was just, I was wasting my time. And we do that with everything. If everybody in this room is called to have a ministry of some sort. To say that um, Matt and Sarah are the only people that can, you know, further the church, that's a lie. That's a lie that America has told so many people in other countries, of course, that the pastors of the church, the leaders of the church, are the only people that can do something and the only people that should do something. Everybody in this church has time or they should make time, in my opinion, and they have the ability to have ministry. So that's what we just need to do. We just need to get out there, um, choose to have relationship with God, maybe say no to our addictions, because let's be honest, Facebook is an addiction for me anyways. So is YouTube videos. A lot of people do TikTok. But I need to say no to, to my addictions and no to the things that are destroying my time and wasting my time so that I can have a relationship with God a relationship with my wife, my son, my family, my friends, and my ministry. You know, those are all so important things. And if we waste all our time doing all these things and 
we failed at what the whole point Jesus died for. If we fail at our relationship with God, then it's like saying, why did Jesus die? You know, because he died so we could have a relationship with God. And when we go back to Little House on the Prairie, you'll see that how they prioritize God and their relationship with God, that that prioritization trickled down to every other relationship that they had in life. So they put God on the top. They committed time for him. And it was harder for them to commit time, but they always made it. That's almost what I think actually um, makes it worth more when you have to sacrifice to commit that time. But they made that commitment for um, God, and then they saw it trickle down. Because once you know how to have a relationship with God, you know how to have a relationship with anybody at that point. If you know how to you know, show love to God, you know how to show love to other people. If you know how to sacrifice time for God, you know how to sacrifice time for other people. And then say you don't. After that is obviously a lie still, too. But my computer is, like, on the sleep thing over here. It apparently doesn't want to die, really, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. That's just kind of the, you know what? <laughs> yeah, so that's, I guess, just kind of the gist is um, created for relationship. We've got to make time for it. Every relationship will grow when we make time for it. If I spend time on my relationship with Jade, our relationship will go. If I don't, then we're probably going to, you know, end up in a bad place right? So it's just the same with every other relationship. So that's the gist. Um, that's all. And if anybody ever wants me to make a graph like that for you, hit me up. I love that stuff. <laughs> so yeah, anyways. All right, so let's pray.